Why don't you get your um, Bible, whatever copy of God's Word you have, and turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. Why don't you do that? I want to welcome those who are watching online. Can we welcome those? So glad that you are joining with us, and just pray God blesses you exactly where you're at, and always greetings to our friends in College Station. Great to have you. Um, Genesis 32, we started a new series of messages last week called Beast Mode, and what we talked about was Beast Mode was when we took on difficult tasks with extraordinary strength. Um, and for us, our extraordinary strength comes from God. And so what we talked about in this series, or when we kicked it off last week, was the fact that we don't want to rely on our strength. We want to trust in God's power. We don't want to rely on our strength. We want to trust in God's power. And so that's kind of what we're talking about. We kicked this off last week. Hopefully you caught that message online or, or podcast or however you do that. But if not, you can catch up with us. And this week, um, I want to continue, obviously, in this and, and something really, really um, stirring in my heart to share. And so in Genesis 32, so what's happening in Genesis 32? Well, if you go back to um, Abraham, the artist formerly known as Abram, God comes to Abram and says, I want to make you a great nation. This is where God um, brings out of Abraham his people, if you will. Um, and so Abraham and Sarah have Isaac, and Isaac has Jacob, and then and Jacob um, has twin sons, Esau and Jacob. I'm sorry, Isaac has twin sons, Jacob and Esau. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was one of a twin. His twin brother was Esau. Esau was the hairy hunter, right? Jacob was the clean-shaven chef, if you will. Um, and so um, his story is something like this, that when he is born, uh, there was a struggle in the womb, the Bible tells us, and then he was born. Esau is born first, and then Jacob is born, but he is holding on to Esau's heel. And because of that, he gets his name, Jacob, which means to supplant or circumvent. To It could even mean to, to deceive. Um, and it kind of gives him the reputation, if you will, of a charlatan. And he kind of lives up to that reputation in some ways in that um, first thing he does is he convince, convinces Esau to sell him his birthright. Um, Esau would have had the birthright and the blessing to big bees if you're the firstborn. And, and he sells him the birthright for some soup. So obviously, he was an incredible cook. <laughs> and so, um, so he does that. And then uh, when Isaac is about to to pass away, um, Jacob, with, with his kind of conspiracy with the help of his mom, uh, dresses up in clothes, animal skins to make him feel furry, and goes in and, and deceives his dad into getting the blessing of the firstborn. And then Esau comes back and finds out, and he's really upset. And, and did I mention he was a hunter? So he is really good at killing things that least expect it. So Jacob does a smart thing. He pulls a sweet brown and he ran for, for his life. And so at the ripe old age of 75 years old, he finally moves out of his parents' basement. So if your children are still living in your basement, just hold tight. There is hope. So at 75, he leaves home, right? And he heads north to, to where his family is from in Haran. On the way, has an encounter with God at Bethel and then gets to Haran about 650 miles to the north. He spends about 20 years there working on the farm with Uncle Laban, right? Gets married, has some kids, um, and now uh, he in, in Laban, he, he's got kind of a disagreement going there, and so he runs from Laban and heads back south and ends up running into Esau. You can only run from so many things till you run into something you're running from. Right? And so he is now about to encounter Esau, and he's like, wonder if bro still has like 
a grudge, you know? And, and so this is where we pick up the, the, the passage, the text in Genesis 32, verse 22. It says, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. Time out. I just want to say this. Um, most of the time, God does his most powerful work in our most vulnerable places. He was left alone. Most of the time, in fact, sometimes for God to do his most powerful work, you have to let him into your most vulnerable place. And so he was, he was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak, beginning of wrestling, right? How many are wrestling fans? I don't know if it was The Rock or John Cena. I don't know how many 80, the Von Erics. It was probably Kevin Von Erich. All right, there we go. Back when wrestling was real. That's right. The Von Erics, the Junkyard Dog, Macho Man Randy Savage. Right? Are you with me? Andre the Giant. That's Hulk Hogan. Who could forget? Thank you very much. Anyways, that's man, back when wrestling was real. So anyways, Jacob wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And the man said, your name is no longer Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and man and have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Um, I call this message um, the struggle for self. The struggle for self. Can we pray? Father, we have gathered in your house with you in your presence, um, not because of religious tradition, but because, um, God, we, we want to be changed. We want to be transformed. We want to know your truth. We want to hear you speak. And God, we pray you would do just that, that you would, that you would anoint us to hear, anoint our ears, God, that we would hear what the Holy Spirit has to say. God, that we would be empowered to pursue you and to follow it and to walk it out and to be transformed by it. Um, speak to us now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. The struggle, the struggle for self. I was in, I was in, I was actually away. I'd gone on a, a, a trip uh, with some pastors uh, all senior pastors from different places. And we were sitting around a table. And one of the older pastors asked me, he, he said, um, he said, what, what do you wish you could go back and tell yourself, like, I think 10, 15, 20 years ago? And uh, I thought for a moment and I said, you know, I think if I could go back and tell myself something like 15 years ago, then I, what I would have told myself is, who you are becoming is more important than what you're doing. Um, and the reason is because I understand your strengths are also a lot of times your weaknesses. 
sometimes what, what you're strong in has, has an opposite side to it. So for me, I'm very driven. I'm very ambitious. Like I, I, I want to take over the world. When I, when I talk to you about us taking over the world, it's because I believe God has given us the power to take over the world. And why would we settle for just a mediocre life, even if it's a good life, like two cars and, and a dog and a half and a cat and a half and, and three and two quarter kids or whatever they tell us the averages are of the American dream. Why would I settle for that when God has called me to, to, to a kingdom, to an unshakable kingdom where I can see the whole world changed and his glory? Like, why would I ever settle for just having church when we could be the church and change the world? Why would I settle for anything mediocre when the God of the universe has breathed his breath into me and called me to something great. Why would I? So I'm always ambitious. I'm always driven. And just, just as that is a strength, because if, if you have a leader, you want a leader who wants to go somewhere. Otherwise, you're not being led. Are you with me? That's why I say, if you would trust me, I could help you. If you would trust me, I could help you reach your potential. But you'll have to trust me. You'll have to actually do some of the things that I say, not just say amen and come back next week to see if I can be more entertaining or funny, but you would actually have to try because I'm going somewhere. And so while you want that, the other side of that is sometimes I go places without God because I get so wound up in the going, I leave him behind sometimes. I find out really quickly when I hit the wall and say, hey, where did you go? And I think, I think until probably the last five years, I've, I've become more content even though I'm not satisfied. I'm not going to be satisfied with anything less than changing the world because that's why I think we were created. If you want to change the world, just hang out with me. And so there's two sides to that. And what I thought was, you know, back then, if I would have been able to temper some of my drive, not, not get rid of it, but temper it a little bit and say, hey, who you're be being precedes doing. So who you're becoming is actually more important than what you're what you're doing, because until you become who you're supposed to be, you really can't do what you're supposed to do. And, and can we be honest enough to say something just between us as friends? But could we say this? Sometimes the hardest person to be is yourself. Sometimes it's easier to be who people want you to be. Sometimes we live our life trying not to be somebody we don't want to be. And sometimes we live our life trying to be who we think people want us to be. Remember how God does his most powerful work in our vulnerable places? It's a vulnerable place to try to be yourself. Because culture will tell you what's accepted. The people around you will tell you what they approve of. But what if who you are is not what they approve of? What if who you are is not who they readily accept? And so we have, we're born into a world with, a, with forces that oppose who we actually are. Like, like we have birth circumstances and, and socioeconomic classes and, 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 then, and then things that happen to us along the way and things people call us uh, along the way. And we have to admit sometimes that we are in a world that is set against our identity. And the reason is because the Bible says that creation is awaiting the revealing of the sons of God. So all of creation is waiting for you to become you. And if Satan, if there really is an enemy to your soul, 
and he knows creation is groaning, waiting for you to be you, then he will make sure and use everything in your life and around you to make sure you never become you. He's okay with you being a version of you just as long as you're not really you. I feel like this is such a good message. And so here we have Jacob who has been struggling his whole life to be him. And he has a birth circumstance that names him and a mother that, that, that conspires with him and a brother who wants to kill him and an uncle that switches brides on him. There's a story. Because he thought he married one girl and woke up the next morning and said, you know who I married? That's freaky. You got it. And so, as before electricity. Anyways, and so here comes Jacob. And Jacob's in a struggle just to be who he is. Write this down. Three things. Write this down. You can't be you without him. That's what I see in Genesis 32. You can't be you without him. You can't be you without him. Jacob is Jacob. And Jacob is doing what Jacob does. And Jacob is living as Jacob lives. And he is a man on the run. He is running. And he is running. But verse 30 says that Jacob called the place Peniel because he saw God face to face. He saw God face to face. This, this is the, 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 the turning point, if you will, because you can't be you w without him. Think about this. Now, this is not an amazing statement in itself. This is the obvious. Jacob had always been Jacob, right? But you know what else? Jacob had always been Israel. He just didn't know it. When God shows up, he doesn't put anything in Jacob. He just calls something out of him. It was there all along. Jacob just didn't know it. He thought he was who mom said he was. And he thought he was who his situation said he was. He thought he was who he was because of who he was and what he had been through and what he had been called. And God shows up not to put something in him, but to pull something out of him. Can I help you with something? Everything you need to be who God created you to be, you already have. You're not needing God to put something in. You're needing him to call something out. The oak tree is in the acorn. The oak tree is in the acorn. The acorn, it doesn't need you to put the oak tree in there. It's already in there. It's just in seed form. And so many times we're thinking, if I could get here, I could be me. If I got the promotion, I could be me. If I could, if I could do this, I'd be me. If I had this relationship, I could be me. And what I would say, no, 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 no. Everything you need to be you is already in you. You just need him to call it out of you because he knows, he knows who you are. 
Um, Jeremiah 1 says that before he formed you in the womb, he knew you. Psalm 39 says, then he knit you together. See, Jacob would have spent his whole life being Jacob if he hadn't had God to tell him he was Israel. And we live in a world that they would love to tell you who you are. But what you need to understand is there's only one person who actually knows who he formed you to be. John 1.12 says this, to as many as received him. Now, how did they receive him? They believed him. As many as received him, they believed him. Then what happened? So he gave them the power. Look at that. He gave them power to become children of God. To those who received him, look, look at this. To those who received him by belief. How do you receive God? By believing him. And then what does he do? He gives you the power to be who he created you to be. That before you receive him and before you believe him, you may be a version of yourself, but only he knows who you are to be. And he is the only one who can empower you to be that. And when we receive him, part of that is believing who he is. And part of that is believing who he says we are. You know what I love about this is when he says, Jacob, your name is Israel. He said, no, not. He doesn't say that. No, it's not. It's Jacob. No, 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 it's Israel. No, it's not. You know, it's interesting to me. Sometimes we argue with God about who he says we are. He says we're loved and we say, no, we're not. He says we're favored and he said, no, we're not. He says we're gonna, he's going to bless us. No, you won't. Is it so many times we argue with, we argue with God over who he's trying to tell us that we are when he's the expert. He made us and we're arguing with him. It says to those who believe, he gave him, look at this, the power to become sons of God. In other words, without Jesus, you don't have the power to be you. You can be a version of you in your own strength. But it takes God's power in you for you to be your true self. And this is exactly what happens with Jacob. Think about this, Adam. What brought Adam back to life? Or what made Adam alive? What made Adam alive? God's breath. Genesis 2, 7. He breathed into him, into his nostrils, the breath of life, and Adam became a living being. Now, what did Adam lose when he sinned? Breath. Right? So then Jesus comes back and he says, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I've come back, what? That you would have breath to breathe into you so that you would have the power to be who I intended you to be. Hear me. You can be a version of you without God. But you can't be your true you without God. You can't be you without Him. Here's the, here's the second thing. Your struggle is God's strategy. I love, I love preaching. I really do. It's one of my favorite things is to prepare messages. My mind works that way. It's just, I, and, and I love finding truth. And to be honest, I was telling someone on our team this week, um, they were asking what the message was. And I said, well, it's Genesis 32. And, and I, I said, to be honest, when God led me here, I was a little bit 
frustrated because I preached this so many times and I, I know, I know what the text is. I said, but then I remembered that the challenge for me is to always preach it differently, to find something else in the text that, that I may have known about, but never really explored. Because every time you look at a text, there's, there's like in this, there's Jacob's perspective, but then there's God's perspective, right? There's, there's different ways to view the text and to see what's going on. And, and every different way you view it unlocks a new, um, a, a new room, if you will, for me, or a new revelation. And so to me, I love looking at thing. I know how I preached it before. And I take everything I've ever preached before and put it over here. And then say, okay, if I, I've never preached this before, what am I going to look for? And what I thought about was something I knew, but I'd never really thought about it before. And that is God starts the fight. That Jacob is struggling because God wanted him to struggle. He started the fight. Isn't it true that in Western Christianity, we assume if you are struggling, it is because Satan has come against you? But what happens when you rebuke it and the fight doesn't stop? Right? It's, have, you ever, have you ever been in a fight and you're like, oh, it's got to be the devil. It's got to be the devil coming against my marriage. It's got to be the devil in my finances. It's got to be the devil at work. It's got to be the devil with the kids. It's got to be the, and you're rebuking it. Get behind me, get behind me, get behind me, get behind me, get me like a broke rat. You're rebuking And it still didn't go away. And you're like, well, I know I got power over all the power of the enemy. I know I got power. And you've tried your TD Jakes, right? And, and, and you've tried your verdict, and you've tried everyone that you can think of that's supposed to got power. And I mean, you told yourself, get ready, get ready, get ready. I mean, you tried everything. You've woman, thou art loosed it and manpowered it and everything you could do. You rebuked it and you're still struggling. It may be because God started the fight. And if you can't rebuke it, then he's probably called you to walk through it. And isn't it true so many times we encounter something and we think it's got to be the devil? And see, when, when we look at it, at our struggle, and we don't identify who started it, then we may miss what it's really all about. Um, Jesus was given an altar call one time. It's kind of a weird altar call. Um, because he said, he said, if you want to follow me, then take up your cross. Now, for us, we think, oh, that's, such, that's beautiful, the cross. It's a yellow cross necklace. It's a redemption. Mm, the blood of Jesus. And, but you have to understand, what now is a symbol of our redemption back then was the most gruesome execution that you could suffer. And so when Jesus said, get across, let me help you with what he's saying. He was saying, I'm going to the gas chamber. Y'all want to go with me? You don't have a gas chamber necklace, do you? That'd be all kinds of crazy. Like if you do, we don't want to know. That's weird. But do you see what I'm saying? I mean, that's the same thing he was saying. So here Jesus is saying, look, if you want to follow me in this wonderful life that I have for you, it's probably going to lead you towards death. 
Now, we don't like that in the modern Western church. No, 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 no. We want sugar plum fairies and gumdrops and unicorns with rainbows. We, 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 we want all of that kind. Of, we want little, little fairies fluttering around, and, and we just want everything to be rosy, and God would only lead us into good times, right? God would only give us good stuff. God comes to fix every problem you ever have. God, God is so good, good. And listen, listen, I can't preach everything. In a, yes, God wants to bless you and keep you and increase you and prosper you. That is a part. But you have to understand what Jesus understood. Jesus said, I was born to die. God sent me here to struggle. Who did Jesus struggle with? We esteemed him as one smitten by God, Isaiah says. In the garden, can I submit, Jesus was wrestling with God. Lord, if it be thy will, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That Jesus was actually wrestling, that he knew he came to die. He knew he was sent here to struggle. That, that the place that, that Jesus spends his, his last hours before his arrest was the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane in the, in the Aramaic language means the place of the olive press. What's the olive press for? That's where you crush the olive to get the oil out of it. That's where you crush the oil, olive to get the good out of it. Oil obviously represents the anointing, but in other words, to get God's power out of your life, you have to crush it. Maybe that's why Jesus called Peter Satan and Judas friend. Because Peter says, no, Lord, you're not going to die because if you die, I lose my seat. Like, I got this figured out. We're going to whoop up on some Romans, bring Israel back into his power, and I'm going to be one of your boys sitting at your right hand, Jesus. And if you go die, what have my retirement plan? And so Jesus says, I'm going to die. And Peter said, hold up. No, you're not. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Yet when Judas shows up in the garden, Jesus says, hey, friend, do whatever you're going to do quickly. Because what Jesus said is, Peter is standing in opposition of my potential because he is keeping me from being crushed while Judas is bringing me to the crushing. So he's my friend. Maybe you need to take a moment and praise God for who, who led you towards the crushing instead of the people telling you you should never suffer, you should never go through that, you should never have to deal with that. You don't, don't go there, that would be hard. You don't want any hard. God only wants good and happy days and sunshine and rainbows. Maybe you need to pray for the, maybe you need to praise for the people that left you, the people that abandoned you, the people that did you wrong. The pe right? Maybe you need to praise God for them because in doing that, they were leading you. They were your friends. John 15, think about this. John 15, think about this. John 15. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And we talk about being fruitful. And what Jesus says, think about this. Vine, branches, fruit, what's fruit? Grape. Here's what Jesus said. If, if you are really good at being fruitful, two things. Number one, your reward for being fruitful is being pruned. Yeah, if you do a really good job, he's going to start cutting stuff off. 
The next thing is the fruit. What happens to the fruit? They're going to crush it because grapes were only planted to be harvested, to be crushed, to turn into wine. And you can't get the wine till you crush the grape. Jesus was born to be crushed. He tells you, if you follow me, you're going to be crushed. Why? Because wine will last longer than grapes. Wine will be stronger than grapes. And so he says, yeah, if you're going to follow me. Look at this, Philippians 2, verse 8. This is talking about Jesus, Philippians 2, verse 8. And being found in human form, this is talking about Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. Do you know what this tells me? That before God will crown you, he will crush you. Before God will crown you, he will crush you. See, Peter says, no, Jesus, you're not going to the cross. And Jesus says, if I don't go to the cross, if I don't show up for the crushing, then my potential will never be reached. Because it is in the crushing that, that all the potential that's on the inside of me that God put in there is actually released. And so anyone that is keeping me from the struggle is not a friend. And at the same time, anyone that has hastened the struggle is a friend. See, we don't talk about in modern-day Christian. I mean, you know, because we tell you you're not supposed to struggle. And I think it's false advertisement for the gospel. And that's why I think when people all of a sudden start struggling, they think the gospel didn't work. But they forget the struggle is God's strategy. And people actually lose faith because they have to struggle and they were never told that you're going to have to struggle. I remember a time in this church where one of our elders sat across from me and he said, I've never seen a pastor have to go through what you've had to go through. And I was just getting started because it got worse after that. And I can just tell you that no one told me that if you want to pastor a church, that you got to go to Gethsemane and get the oil crushed out of you. And we tell people, oh, you don't have to struggle. You don't have to struggle. In America, we don't know anything about struggling for the gospel. There are people meeting today that if they're caught meeting in the name of Jesus, they will be executed. And today, today, we're sitting here with this struggle of like, do I stay in the Serta or do I go hear the Spirit? Oh, Lord, I can't get out of the Serta. God, I'm just stuck. The temptation of the Tempur-Pedic has got me. I'm not, not going to. There are people who will go to church under threat of death, not just persecution, death. And we have people today in the modern church be like, well, I just, you know, I just, yeah, I say I just sleep in today. I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's raining today. I just, I just don't think I'm gonna make it today. You know, I just probably get the live stream. Right? I'm not supposed to suffer. I don't want to get wet. I don't want to get out. 
And I'm just saying, I think that we, we have false advertised the gospel and convinced you that there's ever a struggle. It's demonic activity. And then when you rebuke it and it doesn't leave, then you think, well, what is going on with God? He has forgotten me. And I'm telling you, you're in a struggle, not because God has forgotten you. You are in a struggle because God has favored you. Here's the thing about struggles. Number one, God uses struggles to develop your strength. I don't, I go to the gym mostly just to hang out. Um, I go in, the, my doctor said you should go to the gym. So I go in, I get me one of those like high calorie shakes and I sit there and talk to people and then I go home. And, um, but I feel better because I've been to the gym, right? And, and so, uh, but, but I remember honestly when I went to the gym and, and I started working out again and for a long time I just, I, I didn't really lift weights and that's so I think I'm going to start lifting some weights, not, not trying to hurt myself, just want to be the best me I can be. And, and, uh, but I remember, you know, from weight training, what they taught me was it's time under tension and training to failure that makes the difference. That, that it's, it, it, you know, it can be about how heavy the weight is, but if you're like me, I don't have anything left to prove to anybody. I'm just trying to be healthy. I'm not trying to prove I can lift more than you. I was watching a guy the other day. It was, I was so obvious. Bro hadn't been in the gym in a long time. How do I know? You could look at him. And I'm not, I'm not, hey, I'm not being ugly. He needed to be in the gym. Praise God he was in the gym. But I could tell it'd been a while. And he was trying, I thought, when, because when I started back in the gym, it had been a while, and I was just going to knock the dust off. But bro was going at it like he was going to set the world's strongest man. Like, I looked over there, and I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to have a heart attack if he doesn't kill himself. If that falls on him, he's dead. I mean, because I'm in the gym frequently. I'd never seen him in the gym before. And brother, he is going hard, all in, and decides he's going to max out on the squat first day back in two decades. <laughs> and I'm like, hold up. <laughs> I'm about to get to try raising somebody from the dead right here. It's about to, like, I'm ready, Jesus. Send me in. I put chalk on you. I don't have anointing oil, but I got chalk. Come on, Jesus. I'm ready. And I mean, he nearly killed himself. They helped him. It was okay, but I was like, bro, you got to work up to that. You can't just go in there and lift. You got you to build your strength. And the way you build your strength is through the struggle. It's through the, it's, it's pushing until you fail, pushing until you fail with whatever weight you can do. Right. And that's what actually builds your strength over time. And that's what God knows that, that, that it is the struggle that actually makes us stronger. In fact, James says this, count it all joy when you enter into all types of trials, right? Count all, like James, what were you thinking? Count it all joy when you face all types of trials. Like how many just be thrilled if you just had one trial at a time? Anybody? Like I don't need all types, Jesus. Can we just have one at a time? Like I don't want to do leg day, chest day, and back day, and arm day all on the same day, Jesus. But he said, when you face all kinds of trials, knowing this, what? Knowing this, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It produces endurance. That, here's what God said. If I want you to finish the race, I'm going to have to test you in the middle of the race. And then he says this, because when perseverance has its work, then you're mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, we want to lack nothing but James says the way you lack nothing is through the testing. It's through the struggle 
that you get to that maturity. And so the struggle actually grows me up. There, there's also a way of knowing God in a struggle that you can't know him in success. The Bible says that Jesus learned obedience. Well, let me back up. Paul said this. Paul said that I would know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul said there's a way to know him in, in the power of his resurrection, and that's where we want to hang out. Me too. Like Red Sea parting, Jordan parting, that's where I want to know him in the power. But Paul said there's also a way to know him in the, in the press. The Bible says Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. There, is a, there, there are things you learn in suffering that you can't learn in success. Listen, anyone can obey when you like where you're going. My kids have never disobeyed me when I told them to get in the car because we were going to get ice cream. I'm like, we're going to get Froyo. Wow! They are in the car. Like I have never, like I say, hey, we're working on the backyard. <laughs> Like the other day we said, we're going to Andy's. Andy's! I love me some Andy's! And let me tell you what, that stuff right there, make your tongue come out, slap both sides of your nose, go back in. It is that good. I'm telling you straight up. I think there's 8 million calories per bite, but I think it might be worth it. That stuff's for real. But I tell you, my kids, I'm like, hey guys, hey guys. Let's go get some Andes. Here we go. Hey, guys, guys, we, I, today we're going to work, work in the backyard. I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Wait a second. I think mom needed something. I mean, all of a sudden, they, they, you know what I'm saying? Anyone can obey when you like where you're going. But what happens when obedience is taking you where you don't want to go? That's where the character to sustain and maintain the promise is found in the process of obeying God when you don't like where he's going. The struggle is, is what, what makes you stronger. There's just some things you learn in the struggle that you can't learn in success. See, before God can prosper you with success, he has to prove you in, in the struggle because it's the process that matures you for the promise. Sometimes we want things we're not mature enough to handle. I've got a 14-year-old daughter. I love her. She's a sweetheart. She wants a BMW. It proves she's not in reality, and she doesn't know what her dad does for a living. That's what that proves right there, right? Obviously, this child is still going to come to reality with the rest of us, right? But how foolish, of it would, would, how foolish would I be to give her a BMW when she's 14 and she hasn't passed a driving test yet? We, by nature, typically want things we're not mature enough to handle. So God has to prove us through a process which prepares us for the promise. Because he knows if I give you the promise without the proving, you'll run it into somebody. You'll lose it. And so God is all the time, listen, God is trying to set you up for success. Here's, here's the last thing. 
Your grit determines your gains. Your grit determines your gains. You know what I love about this passage? You got to think about God starts the struggle. But then Jacob, Jacob won't let go. Like I thought about this, like, like, wait a second. Like, isn't it true most of the time when we're in a struggle, we're looking for the out We're looking for the first exit. And Jacob wasn't looking for an out. He was looking for an end. Because isn't it true with us? We start the struggle. It's like, oh, God, struggling. God, how do I get out of this? I mean, if it had been us, if we were Shadrach or Meshach, your shack in a bungalow, if we were those three Hebrew children that got thrown into the furnace, remember it says they were just walking around in the fiery furnace talking to Jesus. Not us. We'd have been on the side like, where's the trap door? Where's the exit? Even though we weren't being burned. I need out of here. I want out of the fire. Because we're looking, when we have a struggle, we're just looking for the way out. But Jacob didn't know, he didn't want the way out. He wanted to know what it was about because he knew God started the struggle, not him. It wasn't Satan, it wasn't him. God started the struggle. And he says, since God started the struggle, this struggle must be about something. So I'm not getting out of the struggle until I determine what this struggle is actually for. Because Jacob knew this. If I abandon this struggle, I will abort my destiny. And I wonder sometimes, I wonder sometimes what God didn't get to do in our lives because we started looking for the out instead of trying to figure out what it was about. Because now Jacob's like, I ain't let go. I don't know what this is about. I don't know why you picked the fight with me. I like it because God starts it, Jacob finishes it. I think that's awesome. I mean, his hip's out of place. He's wounded in the process. He's like, I ain't letting go. But it's day breaking. I don't care. I ain't letting go. I ain't letting go till I get something out of this struggle. I ain't letting go to whatever this is about comes, comes into my understanding. I ain't letting go till you bless me. God, you started this struggle and I'm good to wrestle. We're going WrestleMania. Here we go. But I ain't letting go till I get something out of. And I just wonder if you got a struggle going on today. If you would just have that mindset to say, instead of crying and instead of trying to find a way out, let's just shake ourselves, get God in a headlock and say, I ain't letting go till I get something out of it. You started this fight. I want to know what it's for. You're trying to do something in my life. I'm not going to abort my destiny. I'm not going to abandon this struggle. God, I'm staying with you to the end of this. I don't want an out. I want an end. God, I'm hanging on till I get all I can get from you. Because the truth, the truth is, the truth is that, that this, this fight is a set up for a step up. It is a set up for a step up. Remember, he's a man on the run, right? So he is running from Laban, runs into Esau. He's about to meet Esau. He doesn't have peace with Esau. But do you know why he doesn't have peace with Esau? Because he doesn't have peace with himself. And when you don't have peace with yourself, you'll think people, people are against you when they're not. You'll think people are out to get you when they're not. 
And so this is the culmination. He is wrestling with God on the outside, but the truth is he's been wrestling 96 years on the inside. And the struggle we now see on the outside is just a depiction of the struggle he's had on the inside, struggling for his place, struggling for his peace. And in this moment of not letting go with God, it is a set up for a step up because finally his soul comes to rest with knowing who he is, that he is not Jacob, but he is Israel. And God has unlocked a part of his identity that he would have never discovered in and of himself. And God has called greatness out of him and prepared him to enter into the promise, but he doesn't know any of that without the struggle. And now God, now, now his soul is at rest and he is at peace with himself and now because he's at peace with himself he can be at peace with Esau and now think about this he leaves Haran running from Laban but he wasn't really headed to Canaan how do I know because he ends up not in Canaan he ends up on on the east side of the Jordan Canaan was on the west side of the Jordan and so he is just a man on the run but he was called to the promise of Canaan he was called to enter into that promised land that God had promised Abraham but that doesn't happen till he has peace with Esau and peace with himself and then he's able to step into his promise. And all of a sudden you find out that God chased him down on his run to set him up for a step up so he could enter into the promise that God had promised him. And what God knows is that without the promise, you will miss, without the process, you will miss the promise. And so God says, hey, I got to make you strong enough to inhabit the promise. I, I got to make you strong enough that you can maintain the promise. I've got to forge some character. I've got to, I've got, look, you know what Peter says? Peter says to Asia Minor, the Christians in Asia Minor, so around Turkey, they're Gentiles. He says, hey, hey, in just a little while, the God who brought about the suffering is actually going to bring you out and make you strong. He's going to stop the suffering. He's going to stop the chaos. He's going to make you strong and he's going to make you steadfast. That's what Peter's telling a church that is persecuted and rejected. He's like, in just a little while, the suffering's going to stop. In just a little while, God's going to make you stronger and he's going to make you steadfast because of what God wants to do with your life. And all I'm trying to tell you today is there is a struggle for self, but if you will wrestle with God, he will bring you into who you are. He will call it out of you. He will give you peace within and he will be able to take you into the promise that he has for you. <laughs> that there is an end. I just want to say this real quick. There's an end to the struggle and sometimes I think we miss this because I've seen a lot of people get stuck in the struggle and the struggle becomes their identity. Because they're always the person that's forgotten, the person that's left out, the person that's abandoned, the person that's rejected. And, and what happens is they got in a struggle and they didn't realize there was an end. And the struggle became a part of their idea. I've seen, I've seen marriages divorced because one of them got saved when the other one had been praying for them to get saved. But see, as long as he was a drug addict, she got to be a victim. She needed him to be sick because the, the struggle was her identity. 
And the moment he wasn't sick anymore, she didn't know who she was anymore. Can I just help you with something? There are some people around you that need you to stay sick. They need you to stay stuck. But the struggle has an end. Peter said, in just a little while, God's going to bring you out and make you strong and steadfast. And I want you to know the struggle has an end. He, he may have started the struggle, but it's to bring something out of you so that he can bring you into something he has for you. And it does have an end to it because God's going to bring you through it. Can you give God praise for his word today? He is so good. Why don't you stand with me?